being an anxious person really brings you out of the joy of the present moment and all of the things that you have to be grateful for, which is something I still struggle with. I struggle with that all of the time. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Time isn't precious at all because it is an illusion. What you perceive as precious is not time, but the one point that is out of time, the now. That is precious indeed. The more you are focused on time, past, and future, the more you miss the now, the most precious thing there is. That's from Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Today we're talking about meditation. It's something that I'm always a little bit apprehensive to talk about because I'm afraid that I won't do it justice. It's not the most flashy subject out there, but it really does have the power to transform lives, and I've witnessed that personally. In my previous job, when I worked at TFC in their Department of High Performance, we worked on a meditation program for the athletes. I recorded and provided guided meditations, and we used a device called a Muse headband to track the player's meditations. It's a pretty cool device. It literally senses your brain waves and tells you how much activity is going on in your brain at any given moment. The program taught the players about the basics of meditation and taught them why the mental training that occurred during their meditations could benefit them on the field. It was a really cool program. Now, I will say, it wasn't for everybody. And I don't believe that meditation in one certain way is for everyone. But a couple of the players did take off with it and the effects that they found from learning about meditation and doing the mental preparation and sitting with themselves was transformative. I always enjoyed talking with one player in particular about his practice because for him, the meditation was an integral part of his performance on the field. He used meditation as a tool every single day to prepare his mind and therefore prepare his body to do what he needed to do. I believe that if we can learn to be open to the concepts of meditation and if we can learn to explore how meditation might work for us and what form feels good and right for our minds and bodies, that it can be an amazing way to increase the quality of your life, to learn to be more present in what's happening in any given moment in time. I've witnessed how meditation can change people in really profound ways. I have a family member who discovered meditation and it literally changed him as a person. The way that he thinks about life and moves through the world and therefore the way that he presents himself to the world and connects with other people. It's helped him to get in touch with his spirituality and the shift that people close to him in his life have seen is massive. They would say that he's far more thoughtful, more compassionate, that his communication is better, that there's purpose behind everything that he does and says, that his temper has all but disappeared. Just being in his presence, you can sense how dialed in and how in touch he is. He has a quiet, calm intensity about him that I find so compelling and so nice to be around. These are really huge, important, and powerful changes that meditation can bring to people's lives. Ask anyone in the top 1% of their field, whether they're 
an athlete, a CEO, a coach, a performer, a public figure, a politician, they will tell you that the mental preparation and the mental training are what set them apart from the rest of their field. That's what gives them their edge. A meditation practice can take many different forms. For some, it may involve movement. For some, it may involve writing or journaling. For others, it involves breath work. For others, it's a combination of all of those things. I think the message that I want to get across to everyone is that you have to find what works for you in that moment of your life. Anything that's gonna be sustainable and actually benefit you in the long run, that's the most important thing that you can do is figure out how does this work for me as opposed to trying to fit yourself into somebody else's mold of what might work for them. Personally, I go in and out of having a formal seated meditation routine built into my days. I always have mindfulness incorporated into my day and my intention, but it's not always that carved out, sit down, close your eyes, window of time. And I have to say that after this episode and thinking about meditation, I am definitely inspired to start doing that again. So I'm personally going to commit to at least three minutes. I'm keeping it short so that it's doable. At least three minutes of seated breath work every day. If that's something that you'd like to join me in, please do reach out and let's hold each other accountable to it. Whether you have never meditated before, whether you've tried and just kind of felt like it didn't jive with you or you didn't fully understand it, or whether meditation is an active part of your life, I think we can all take something away from this episode. I'm speaking with Aliana, who is a meditation teacher and entrepreneur. And she's really upfront about the challenges of meditation and the things that st she still struggles with, but she also explains why it's worth it and why it really has benefited and changed her life. Aliana is someone that has struggled with anxiety in the past, and she was really open and honest about that and how meditation has played a role in helping her anxiety, but also how her anxiety makes meditation freaking hard sometimes. We are all so distracted in our lives. We go through our lives staring at screens, not realizing what's going on around us, missing things all the time. We're not very good at being present in the moment and connecting with the people that are right in front of us. Meditation is one way that we get better at that. We start to be mindful about the present situation that we're in. As Eckhart Tolle would say, the only thing that we really have is the now, is this present moment. So we have to start valuing it more instead of worrying so much about the past, about the future, about all of the things whirling around in our heads. Whether you decide to meditate or not, I think that there are so many mindfulness concepts in this episode that you can take away and that can be really beneficial in your life. All right, guys, I hope everyone enjoys this episode with Aliana. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about how meditation has played a role in your life, maybe how you got started into it and why you got interested in meditation and yoga and mindfulness and all this great stuff. Sure. So I feel like yoga in particular was something that was really trendy for a while. So I felt like everybody and their grandmother was getting into practicing yoga. So I kind of found my way there similarly. I'm not really a super athlete, so I really wanted to do something that had my body balanced. So that kind of was my draw to yoga, just to kind of get my body moving for the first time. I grew 
up kind of Catholic Buddhist. My dad's a Buddhist and my mom's Catholic. So. Oh, that's an interesting mix. Yeah, it's uh, he transitioned when my parents got divorced, so I was about 11 years old. So mm-hmm. I grew up going to a Catholic school, Catholic high school, and then my dad did the transition and all of the lessons he was learning at his temple were brought home and then my mom wasn't like a super strict Catholic. So that's mm-hmm. kind of more of my spiritual foundation, I guess, was what my dad taught me through his teachings. But meditation was always a part of what we did together. So I struggled a lot with anxiety growing up and it was really the only thing trying to avoid prescription medication that my doctor was trying to put me on that really helped with my anxiety. And I say that lightly only because I'm still a super anxious person. So I think that especially now, a lot of people approach meditation where they think that it's going to be the cure for all of their issues. It really does take practice. It's, it's an entire journey. It takes a lot longer than I think people understand to really get to a point where you can combat your triggers, combat your anxiety with meditation alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really takes a lot including a lifestyle change. So eliminating any of your triggers or kind of dealing with them head on, um, using meditation as a practice to kind of deconstruct yourself and go within as opposed to a distraction technique. That's pretty cool that you were introduced to Buddhist ideals Mm -hmm. early on in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about them and about Buddhist philosophies and maybe how that impacted your childhood? For sure. So growing up in a Catholic school, we going to church was mandatory. I feel like that was just a part of our everyday routine. We prayed in the morning, we prayed at lunch, and something that I really struggled with the Catholic spiritual element was I never really felt anything. So my body didn't really connect to that philosophy or ideal. Uh, The stories are super interesting, so that was the great part about growing up Catholic. But other than that, anytime I went to church, aside from singing and all of that fun stuff, it never really spoke to me in a way. And Buddhism is a different kind of approach to life in general. I feel like it kind of is open-ended. So I wasn't really at the level my dad was where I wasn't you know, going to temple and I wasn't meditating in the temple with him. But he kind of brought forth this energy into the family being like, you can make your own decisions on your spirituality and we won't judge you for that. So it was a really non-judgmental space to grow up in. So just to give you a little contrast, my brother's an atheist and I consider myself a highly spiritual person. Oh, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> the only time I really felt connected um, as far as, you know, Buddhist practices and meditation and all of those, you know, Tai Chi was something that I really felt helped me a lot really connect with my spirituality was the feeling inside that there was something beyond this kind of physical experience. So I wasn't really super involved in the temple but my dad was always open to you know consciousness being this kind of all-encompassing experience as far as buddhist philosophy i think that i'm not really too involved in the actual formal practices rituals of yeah it, the rituals of it. yeah, it's kind of, yeah it was really more of just a non-judgmental all-encompassing mm-hmm. space from my dad's perspective so i would consider myself not really tied to any specific religion but being able to be raised with that kind of mindset definitely helped me understand spiritual concepts way easier when I kind of began my journey into the mindfulness meditation community. When do you remember first feeling anxious as a kid? Do you have any early memories of how that sort of came on and that experience? 
Yeah, it's interesting because I actually made a post about this not long ago, how I remember the first time I felt anxiety and it's like a very specific moment in my life. I think I was probably about five or six years old mm -hmm. and my parents were together and my, neither none of my parents smoked and my mom was a stay-at-home mom and like she came on every school trip and was like always had her shit together. Like mm -hmm. she was just like super mom. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day she was sitting out on our back patio with a friend of hers and I opened the door and she had a cigarette in her hand. My mom, I'd never seen my mom smoke in my life and I was like very confused by that and I asked her I was like mom like I didn't know you smoked type of thing and she's like I don't like I'm holding it for my friend which like I knew she was lying about it at that moment uh -huh. that kind of made me feel a way in my body that I had never felt or never recognized being a sensitive child you really do realize when things are wrong and that moment was like pivotal in terms of years of trauma in my family that ensued right at that moment it kind of began so now I'm like super triggered by the smell of cigarette smoke I just like can't be around it because it really just boils up this deep angst within me from that particular moment so that was the first time I was like the knots in your stomach the typical anxiety feeling that you get I guess everybody experiences anxiety differently mm -hmm. that was wild it's so deeply ingrained in my long-term memory yeah, wow, that's so early. Mm -hmm. Also, five or six to yeah. have those feelings and to remember that. Do you have any other specific triggers or things that you still struggle with? I'm sure lots of your listeners come from broken families. So I think that depending on the type of situation you have when your parents do end up getting divorced, there's typically a lack of communication with the children from the parents' side. My parents were really good at keeping us away from anything that they were experiencing as a couple. In a way it was good, but also in a way it was bad because when my parents did end up getting a divorce, I didn't see it coming. Like yeah. I still to this day have never seen my parents fight. It really ingrained a lot of abandonment within me being like, why is this happening? So communication in my life is a huge trigger for me. So when people don't communicate openly or if I don't hear somebody from somebody for a very long time, it can be very anxiety inducing and it's not anybody's fault it's kind of my own responsibility to self-soothe that self-talk that you're always worried about something going wrong just really understanding that it's it's from this deep experience as a child and it's kind of me trying to soothe my inner child and not really take it out on the people in my adult life that aren't trying to hurt me or aren't trying to abandon me and that'll yeah. make it so challenging for you to form really close connections with people because you're going to have a barrier up, right? Absolutely. You're going to want to keep them at arm's length a little bit because the deepest trust that you can have for someone, that's probably challenging for you to go to that place. Can you tell me about how yoga and meditation have helped you discover some of these things and then work through your anxiety? For me, it completely changed who I am as a person. So it kind of brought me to this space where I really discovered who I am, what I'm interested in, what I enjoy doing, but also that I could be a happy person and that being content and being able to like decide what I want to do in my life was possible, mm. which is something that I feel like we're not really taught as young people. You know, you go to school and everybody expects you to follow this trajectory trajectory of I'm going to university, I'm going to get married, I'm going to buy a house, like all of these things, which are amazing. Like, I think that those are awesome values to have, but it's not for everybody. And we're not really taught to explore other avenues of self-discovery. So I felt like yoga and meditation was a way for me to sit with myself and feel what I really wanted to do, what really made me happy, what I was really interested in. So if you were to meet me five years ago, which was not really the beginning of my journey, but it was kind of when I started taking it seriously as a possible career, mm -hmm. um, a completely different, completely different person. So wow. yeah, it changed my life completely. What does your daily practice consist of? So it really depends on the day. I feel like 
as an entrepreneur, your days are kind of like all over the place. It's kind of hard to have a daily schedule, but I definitely never not have me time in the morning. Whether it's five minutes of meditation before I get out of bed or two hours of like a morning ritual, drinking my coffee, making my breakfast, that kind of thing. I feel like that's something that I've always stood by. So a lot of people ask me why I wake up so early. I'm like, because I need me time before I give time to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So those morning moments, I guess, can really vary depending on a daily practice. Typically, I usually try and read, meditate, or do something creative, whether it's working on content or working on my website or sending some emails, connecting with people. Mm -hmm. Love to exercise. So whether it's taking a class, kind of incorporating that into my morning routine, I usually try and find a balance of quiet time, creativity, and exercise in in a day. And then it it really helps balance my routine, but it it definitely fluctuates. And then sometimes I don't have a practice at all. So that's always a reality, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Did you do anything this morning? I stayed at my partner's house last night, so it's a little bit trickier when you're staying at somebody else's house. Mm -hmm. But I still woke up early and I still drank my coffee and had to to sit down in his living room before coming here, especially Mm -hmm. before being on a podcast. I feel like I want to just ground myself before talking to somebody new so yeah yeah definitely he's like why are you waking up so early and because I need to I need my time Yeah. yeah that makes total sense when do you find it most challenging to meditate when you really need it the most. Mm-hmm. So in the middle of an anxiety attack, when I know that I have all of these tools to self-soothe and to bring myself out of it, because you're kind of experiencing these emotions or these feelings within the body, it can be really hard to accept that that's what you need to do. For example, mm-hmm. if something is triggering me and I'm feeling really anxious and like sometimes those feelings can last for days, like three or four days. If I meditate, if I exercise, if I do something creative, I'm going to feel better. It's like this internal stubbornness that you don't do it. It's the most bizarre crazy yeah it's the most bizarre (laughs) thing ever it's like you almost want to like fully experience your anxiety before deciding to move on from it which I guess is like a weird subconscious Mm. processing but yeah do you think there's anything to that I'm sure there is going through the motions of it and just feeling the feels before you fix it or self-soothe as you say yeah Yeah. and I think so because there's a lot of times where people will come to my classes or take a meditation with me and become emotional in class or are super distracted that day and then you feel like oh that was a bad meditation or that was a bad practice and in reality it's just a part of the process Mm -hmm. it's like if you needed to think about what you needed to think about during that time whether you're distracted or not that's what you needed to do and then you reapproach your practice and notice the changes Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping that one day I can get to a point where as soon as I'm triggered I can be like okay it's breath work time Mm -hmm. but I do have my moments where I'm just like you know what I'm just needing to be frustrated right now and, and that's what I'm going to it's just the full spectrum of human experience I guess yeah yeah for sure you're mentioning exercise although mm-hmm. you said that previously exercise wasn't really something that you had done before has that been a new thing that you started incorporating in your life in the yeah. last couple of years I'm not really an athletic person mm-hmm. I'm not super competitive so I was never like a sporty girl I guess mm-hmm. so when I graduated from high school and I went into college and I was studying I started going for walks that was like mm-hmm. my first kind of way to clear my head gather my thoughts and then I went from mm-hmm. walks to tai chi tai chi to yoga and now I do all sorts of things like zumba dance bar all of that stuff and I Amazing. love classes there is so many so much scientific evidence behind the way the brain responds to exercise and how that can positively affect your thinking and and releases endorphins in the brain so 
I feel great after I take a class. It's just sometimes mm-hmm. hard to get there, but I incorporate it into my life because it helps me feel better. Yeah, the good thing about classes though is you do have an exact start time. Yes. So if you're signed up for the class, <laughs> you, you gotta, gotta go. go. Exactly, yeah. it's an appointment, so yeah. that's good. Can you tell me a little bit about Tai Chi? I know it's a very traditional form of mindful movement, but mm-hmm. I'm not actually super familiar with what exactly it is. Can sure. you tell me about it? From what I understand, it's the practice of using your breath to kind of move energy around both within the body and outside side of the body mm. so I don't know um, if you've ever seen um, like the old folks at the mall who are practicing Tai Chi like, at the mall yeah no I haven't okay so if anybody grew up in maybe like, at the park at the park yeah. but like you know when you see like a bunch of these like older folks and they're kind of like moving very slowly and there's yes. music going on yes so that's how I started my house used to back on to a lake and there was mm. like a bunch of old folks who would practice Tai Chi every day and then one day I just decided to join them oh my god um, I love it yeah so it's like very informal practice Mm -hmm. but when you're practicing outside and you're feeling the sun touch your body and like your feet are bare on the grass and like Mm -hmm. those types of engaging experiences that's when I really started to feel a shift in my spiritual experience being like okay this is something I've never felt before this is new my body feels good and the mindful movement aspect really keeps the body busy while you work through your thoughts. So mm-hmm. very informal Tai Chi practice. I don't want it to seem like I was like a, a super, super into my uh, Tai Chi experience, mm-hmm. but I did it every single day. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I was sad to move from that house where I was like, but my homies, my Tai Chi <laughs> homies. There is something really powerful about mindful movement. I have a dancing background and I remember when we were in school, I think the first time that I really felt completely present in the moment and understanding what that was was when we would do sort of some of these improv exercises where it was just move Mm -hmm. and pay attention to your body and maybe there was some further intention layered onto it but how is mindful movement something that you utilize in your life and what are your thoughts on it? So I totally agree with you when it comes to this fully present moment Mm -hmm. experience, which one of the only things that helps me stay in that space is teaching. Mm -hmm. So when I'm teaching a class, when I'm holding space for other people, there are so many elements that go into doing that. And I'm sure you experience this with personal training as well, because you're so conscious of that space for somebody else Mm -hmm. that there's really no room to focus on other things. Like I can't be, my, my mind cannot be wandering when I'm guiding a class because I have to pay attention to the music, the time, the lighting, is everybody in a safe posture, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But within myself, I feel like the mindful movement aspect has really changed the way that my body interacts with life. Mm -hmm. Becoming a stronger person, becoming a more conscious person, knowing my limits um, has been a huge aspect of it. Because I feel like sometimes in fitness or in classes, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well, Without understanding the body, we're so much more prone to injury. So I felt moving mindfully was helpful for me to understand my limitations, my strengths, um, how I can move my body in a way that is going to be optimal. I think it's very easy, especially if you're going to classes, it's very easy to check out a little bit and just do the things that you're being told to do or Mm -hmm. being instructed to do and not actually pay attention to how it's affecting your body and how your body feels and what are your limits. So I think that's a great point. What are some of the biggest mental blocks that people have when it comes to meditation if they haven't done it before or don't know so much about it? Yeah, I love this question um, because there's so many, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially, you know, I teach at home meditation studio, which is like the hub for beginner meditators, which is amazing because we get a lot of people who've never practiced before. But Mm -hmm. in that 
these questions come up a lot. First and foremost, that there is a right or wrong way to meditate. So I think a lot of the misconceptions is that we're supposed to clear the mind, fully be present, drop into the body, when it's actually impossible, like we can't possibly eliminate the mind of thought. It's not humanly possible. That is definitely one of the myths that I try and involve in my teaching being like, hey, if you're focused on something in particular, maybe you need to be focused on that. But the whole idea behind practice is to kind of compartmentalize your thoughts. So not having a million things going on at once, but maybe choosing a thought to think about in that practice. Mm -hmm. Trying Um, to be deliberate with what you're thinking about yeah like setting an intention Mm -hmm. so something I used to guide a lot is choosing something like describing your mind as a conveyor belt and having every thought being this individual entity and you being the operator of this conveyor belt in the mind you get to choose what you decide to think about and what you decide to wait for later like none of your thoughts are going anywhere they will always be there but you have the power to decide what kind of energy you bring into your practice really embodying the thought process allows you to kind of that it's just like the power of the law of attraction power of manifestation really drawing that energy into your life so that's kind of what I focus on when I practice because if I'm embodying these feelings of anxiety or worry or whatever the case may be then that's what I'm going to pull more of into my life so I think that I want beginner meditators especially to know that they have so much power in in their mind to draw things into their life and that your meditation is a perfect opportunity to do that, to use your the power of your thought to really hone in and focus on what you want. Another misconception that I get a lot is that meditation has to be this kind of formal seated practice mm-hmm. where again, mindful movement, that's kind of where I started meditating, where I started being fully present. So anything you do that has you occupied, whether it's physically or mentally, is can be a form of meditation. Some people find comfort in cooking, some people find comfort in exercising. It really depends on what you enjoy doing and where your mind goes when you're kind of engaging with your practice. What do you think are the biggest differences between beginning meditators and advanced meditators? Can you tell when they walk into your class? You can. I mean, I don't know how many advanced, like what would be considered an advanced Mm -hmm. meditator, but beginners are definitely, they definitely struggle with the relaxation of the body. So Mm. body language reveals a lot. So when their legs are crossed or their hands are tense or their jaws clenched, then you can tell and you can guide to relax those things. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've been meditating for a while, you kind of know to do the body scan, drop into that space, and then you can kind of utilize your time more effectively. Being in a meditation practice with other people is a very vulnerable space to be in. Your eyes are closed. Like if you think of the body, your heart and your belly is exposed and your back is open to whoever is behind you. It's just a very humanly vulnerable space to be in. People aren't comfortable with the idea of meditation yet. I feel like it's this relatively new, not concept, but in the in the Western world it is. It's kind of really be blowing up and becoming this trendy, corporate, popular way to become a more efficient human being. So I feel like people want to do it because they know it's good for them, but they don't really know why or how to do it to really receive the effects and benefits from it. Mm-hmm. We haven't actually figured out how to integrate it into our lives yeah. yet, even though we know it's something we should be doing. For sure. How do you suggest that people integrate it into their lives? Um, Do you think that it's something that's important to do daily? Do you think that it's something that could be done once a week? Is there any amount of time that would be ideal? Mm -hmm. How would you help guide someone through incorporating it into their life in a sustainable way, like a way that it's actually going to be a part of their life moving forward? Yeah, I love that question. 
So I know that you have a neuroscience background, and uh, one of the things that has fascinated me about this industry is how many new studies are coming out on the neuroscience of meditation, like how meditation is actually physiologically affecting the brain, how it is strengthening the neural pathways to make you a more calm and relaxed person. They say that five minutes of meditation a day, so you know, smaller increments daily, is better than kind of a one-hour class weekly. It's not really that you're meditating more, it's just that you're meditating more frequently. It's kind of just a part of what you do, and I think that in that way, it integrates into the body a little bit easier. So I have experimented with one week meditating every morning before getting out of bed, and one week not meditating every morning and the difference for me is like super tangible. Like I can definitely feel my week meditating. My mind is clearer. I'm more conscious. I'm not making silly mistakes. I'm more in my body. And then not meditating, you kind of feel like thrown off. But I feel like if you don't kind of experiment with what works for you, then it really depends. Everybody, everybody is different. It's pretty amazing, the yeah. difference. I like that experiment. I mm-hmm. feel like I should try that. I want to know. I'm like, I'm not a skeptic. If you tell me something's going to work, like if you tell me I'm, I'm going to meditate every day for a month and then I'll levitate at the end, I will try it. I'll be like, okay, cool. That sounds great. But yeah. I know that in today's society, especially in the city where we have such a combination of different people with different specialties, a lot of my friends are really highly creative musicians in film and all of that stuff, highly stressful jobs, entrepreneurs, freelancers, that type of thing. I really am focusing on like converting the skeptics, being like, this is why it works. This is how your brain changes when you strengthen your mind in a way that allows you to be a naturally calm and relaxed person. Because that's what I want to be. I just want my initial response to be mindful and calm. But it, it's so much more work than I think people understand. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think people are coming to terms with too, is that you could go to meditation classes every day for a month you still got years and years right. and years of work to do i think that's anything in wellness for right sure. it's it's going on the full complete journey and being okay with that and realizing that there isn't an end point mm-hmm. and it's not going to be a yeah one month and then done kind of thing and then i'm there i've arrived i'm an advanced meditator whatever it might be it's going to be a journey the forever. arriving thing too mm-hmm. i think even in fitness for me i don't think i'll ever arrive in a place where i'm like ah I'm here now, I'm good, there is no more work to be done because as life fluctuates and changes around you, so does your practice and so do your needs. This has become kind of a buzz term, Mm -hmm. but what exactly is mindfulness? I feel like everybody has their kind of personal definition of mindfulness. So I feel like mindfulness is anything that allows you to be present as often as possible. So being mindful is being self-aware, but also aware of your surroundings. So One of the things I like to guide in meditation is checking in with yourself, so becoming aware of every single part of the body, becoming aware of the thoughts, so where your mind is wandering, what it's focusing on, your breath, and then expanding outside of the body. Especially in the city, you see it a lot. We all have our headphones in. We're all always going somewhere. Everybody, unless you're like chilling in Trinity Bellwoods. Right. (laughs) Everybody's on a mission. Everybody's trying to get somewhere. Everybody's got something to do. We are not paying attention. We have no idea what's going on around us. So I think that incorporating every aspect that you can about your present reality is my personal definition of mindfulness. So how much can I be aware of at one time what is really going on like i'm sitting here with you we're engaging in this you know conversation i'm taking in the surroundings of this space but also the wind is blowing outside and i can see the leaves moving and that's simultaneously happening as we're sitting here and then you think of being in the city and so many other experiences happening at once it's like this crazy 
buzz. For me, it's just really being as engaged with your experience as you possibly can with all of your senses. What kinds of meditations do you guide people through? I work with mostly beginners, aside from my dad, when I guide him in meditation because he likes it. You know, like I said, body scans, I always, always begin with the breath, tuning into the body and then tuning into the surroundings just to kind of simplify it in a way that if somebody was listening to this, they'd be like, okay, I can understand that and practice that at home. Mm -hmm. And I think that those elements take so long to master on their own that we could practice those for a lifetime and and continue to grow in that way in meditation. But I used to, when I first started teaching, have a full-on plan for like everything I was gonna say, and I ditched that after like a few months and then started speaking intuitively. Mm. So it really depends on where I am in that moment, what I say in class. A lot of the time, it's self-acceptance. It's just accepting where you are right now. If you're feeling Mm. distracted, deconstruct that and, and take a moment. I give a lot of space to breathe so I'll guide somebody through their body scan and then give them five minutes to have that experience and that's important to me lots of space to practice and then just very basic instructions and then of course all of my spiritual hippy dippy whatever nonsense that comes out of my mouth when I'm teaching because <laughs> I always just say I'm channeling and sometimes I just usually talk about what I need to hear that day what I would appreciate in a class so. yeah I was gonna say you probably yeah. bring your own experience to those classes mm-hmm. a lot and it's probably somewhat therapeutic for you as well to be able to channel whatever it is that you're thinking or feeling in that moment nothing makes me feel better than me being a teacher, me Mm. being in that position. I am my favorite version of myself when I'm doing that. But it's not the only version of myself. So (laughs) my friends will take my classes and they're like, who was that? Mm. Who was that person in there that was just guiding me? And I was like, that's just a part of me. And of course, it's wholly me, but not you know, the goofy, weird, sarcastic, sometimes bitchy part of me. I'm never going to be that when I'm teaching. Um, but it's becoming more and more of who I am and more and more of who I feel my best being. It's been a, such a space of self-discovery for me actually sitting in that spot, guiding other people. How do you think you integrate that person into daily life more? Even physically, I carry myself differently. My voice sounds differently when I speak, but I'm just more patient and understanding with people. So I know how to communicate in a different way that leaves things open. Being aware of what other people are experiencing, their body language, how open they feel with you and being intuitive that way. So it's definitely kind of skyrocketed my intuition to be able to understand people a little bit better and to also be compassionate. So to not take everything so personally, I think that's something that We all struggle with, but I definitely know that I struggle with. And I think that it has allowed me to kind of become more of an observer, I guess. Yeah, so that's kind of how I integrate that person. Probably more in touch with your true self, like your deepest, truest self. I hope so. That's like what I like to think. We all are highly critical of ourselves. And, you know, there's lots of places within us that we don't particularly like or that we're always working towards, and I feel like especially in this industry, we don't talk about that enough. Before I started teaching, before I did any of my trainings, I always felt like my teachers at the time, my yoga instructors, my meditation instructors, were on this pedestal that like I wasn't there and I would never be there. I really try and not make my students feel that way. I never want to. I really want to be more open and honest about my experiences, why I got here, which is kind of my draw to do podcasts because I don't get to open up with my students this way. And uh, I think it's important that I'm a person too. And sometimes I will teach a class and I just cried all morning or like had a really anxious day that day and it's okay. And I'm still, you know, me and I'm still more than capable of guiding you during your practice. So 
I think that's such an amazing point. We're so quick to draw conclusions about the people that we see in these positions of authority. Mm-hmm. I know that my clients do it with me as a trainer as well, but in reality, I'm not super pumped to train every day. I might miss a five days of training in a row, right? And there are other things going on in my, in my life and other things that I've struggled with. So I think we're entering a really neat space um, right now, a really neat time where I think people are starting to use their platforms to share more of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about the journey and talk about all the things that we've struggled through to get to where we are and things that we're still striving for and connect with people in a different way. And it's just really interesting to hear that everybody is on this self-discovery journey. I feel like we are so privileged to be in this space, our generation in particular, that happiness is a priority for us and doing what we love is something that is the norm. Like that is what we all are trying to do. We are so lucky to be able to do that, to be able to be here and be like, you know what, I'm just going to do what makes me happy. I feel both as existential dread with that, being like, oh my gosh, (laughs) sometimes I don't know what's going to make me happy. But also it's just like this fuel, like this this true and genuine excitement of being like, okay, well, if that doesn't make me happy, I can move on to something else. And then being in a city like Toronto where there are a million different ways to make money, the options are endless and it's very inspiring, but also simultaneously terrifying. Right, for <laughs> sure. But the best things often are, so. I guess so, yeah, that's true. That's so true. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm really trying to enjoy a space of uncertainty. So my anxiety draws me to be this person that needs all the answers. I need to know like the next seven steps in front of me before I feel comfortable or I'm able to really relax. And I'm, my practice has brought me to this space of becoming really just more comfortable with the not knowing and that life can change in an instant and you could plan and plan and plan and plan but something could happen tomorrow that'll throw all of your plans out the window being an anxious person really brings you out of the joy of the present moment and all of the things that you have to be grateful for which is something i still struggle with i struggle with that all of the time how has your experience being an entrepreneur been so much different than i thought it was going to be so i know a lot of yoga instructors When I first graduated my uh, yoga teacher training, I was like, yeah, give it a year. I'll be doing yoga. I'll be teaching yoga full time. That's what I want. I didn't even know what I was talking about. It is a hustle. If you really want this, you have to make it work in a way where I still work a nine to five job. And I think that a lot of people do. That's not really something that I knew until I started meeting my fellow teachers. And I'm like, hey, can we meet and have coffee so I can like learn how you do this full time? And 95% of people are like, I don't do this full time. I still work at an office or I still have my nine to five hustle. I had such a different idea of what it would be to like transition into this kind of entrepreneurial lifestyle. It's been both amazing, but really eye opening that in this industry of wellness, especially because there's so many of us Mm -hmm. and having people like you is important, which is something I never in my life wanted to care about. So that is a part of the entrepreneurial experience that I've been really learning to accept, but also accept that some people aren't going to like me and like, that's okay too. Yeah, especially when you're providing services, I think that you do a lot of self-discovery about what's actually important to you. How do you want to present yourself to people? Mm-hmm. How do you want to be seen? What all do you want to share? There's, a, I mean, there's just a lot that goes into it besides having people hire you and showing up for classes. My personal practice is just as important as me teaching, like the having that balance. And I think once you start teaching, you'll notice that an imbalance can happen very quickly where you want to teach more because it's good experience. It makes you a better teacher. And mm-hmm. also it's, it's your bread and butter. It's how you make money. 
but then your personal practice kind of starts to dwindle away. And in my most recent months, that's been something I've been trying to really focus on and bring back in because the more I practice, the better of a teacher I am. And it's kind of this cyclical experience that really just allows me to be my best version of myself. Do you run any events in the city or any workshops or anything? I do. So one of my most recent focuses has been um, bridging the gap between the clinical wellness space and kind of the traditional practice wellness space. Mm So I really was interested in like naturopathic clinics. A lot of the time meditation and yoga and all of these practices are recommended to their patients, their clients, but there wasn't Mm -hmm. a space that they offer it in-house. So one of the most recent things I've been kind of working on is program development for these spaces, these spaces who encourage people to engage in these practices but don't offer it. I can offer it like I would love to kind of create a program for you so right now I'm working with a naturopathic clinic called Daru Wellness I'm implementing a program called Mindfulness 101 so it's basically a four-part series one class per month um, for the summer that really just takes you through the basics of what it would be like to incorporate different elements of meditation and mindfulness practice into your life so it's a combination of mindful movement meditation and then community connection which is something i feel really lacks in this space Mm -hmm. we really just deep dive into different focuses each class so for example the first one was breath work we practiced different techniques we had a discussion we deconstructed how does breath affect the body and the mind those types of things tomorrow i have one called loving kindness which is where you begin transitioning into implementing these practices as part of communicating and incorporating your lifestyle with others and involving them in your experience. So one of the most challenging things I think as human beings is really being compassionate and cultivating that within the self towards the self first and then expanding it outward. And it takes a lot of practice and something that I will probably meditate on for the rest of my life. So anybody who either is experienced or not experienced, who wants to dabble, wants to create a routine, that would be you know a great place to start and I kind of wanted to create that and also you know the financial accessibility aspect was a huge thing for me I felt like in the city in particular where all of these different studios are popping up that are beautiful and amazing they're also super expensive and a lot of people really want to find their way to meditation and mindfulness but can't afford it yeah so creating a space that was you know reasonable was important to me Awesome. Mm -hmm. If you had to sort of summarize the benefits that you see for meditation, what are your main three things that you would say? Creativity. I feel like the more time you allow yourself to relax and the more time you kind of compartmentalize your worries or eliminate a lot of the stressors in your life, you create space in the mind to explore and to have fun. So for me, anytime I'm in my most most relaxed spaces, so a lot of the times we have our best ideas when we're falling asleep or we have our best ideas in the shower. Creativity is probably the thing that I have received the most of through my practice. Patience with yourself and with other people because this practice is such a journey and it fluctuates. So some weeks you'd be like, I'm good, I got it. I've been meditating, you know, I've had great sessions all week. And then another week you'll be anxious and distracted and just kind of allowing yourself to be in that space. And as I mentioned before, implementing any technique when I feel frustrated or anxious. I want to say compassion because when something irks me or when I'm in a situation where I'm not really understanding somebody else, I want to. And I want to understand them in a way 
where I can put myself in their shoes and be like, where are you coming from? So compassion and communication, I guess. They're both balanced because if, let's say I disagree with you on something or something somebody said something to me or is giving me like a weird vibe, I'm so much more able to communicate that to them in like a non-offensive, non-aggressive way that is like, let's talk about this. Let's communicate openly. Communication takes practice. And I think that anybody in either, you know, long-term relationships or who teach or work with clients um, understand that. So a sensitivity to other people and, and the way they listen and where they're coming from. The times that I also step back and give myself space to think about certain scenarios and really dive into, okay, I'm feeling a certain way, mm-hmm. but how am I going to package this up into words and express it to someone else? Like that takes some time. Personally, I approach a conversation, whether it's with my partner or someone else, after I've meditated on mm-hmm. it, I approach it so much more effectively, so much more level-headedly. So yeah, I can definitely relate to the, the communication piece. What meditation does, I guess, in a tangible way is increases, which is, you know, you gave a perfect example there, the time between your responses. So we go from a reactive state to a responsive state. Taking that moment, let's say you say something that upsets me, to take a breath and then decide how I'm going to respond to that instead of my body kind of taking over and immediately snapping or crying or whatever the case may be. This is my final question that I ask everyone on the podcast. What makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? I feel like creativity is coming up a lot for me today. I think that the idea that I have control over the direction that my life goes and that I can create whatever I want for myself is definitely the most inspiring aspect of life for me in this entrepreneurial space, especially as being like, this is the kind of life I would want for myself and building all of those stepping stones in between to get there. That's what motivates me to get out of bed every day. But I will be honest, I do have days that I don't want to get out of bed. (laughs) We all do. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to be upfront about that. I was like, oh man, if you would have asked me this like three days ago, I would have been like, nothing. If people want to connect with you, mm-hmm. learn more from you, maybe take a class from you, how should they go about doing that? Yeah, so I'm uh, Yogini Aliana, keeping it simple, on all platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, my website is that as well. Booking classes, you can contact me through my website or send me a DM on Instagram. And I share most of my content on uh, the gram because I feel mm-hmm. like it's the most accessible for most people. And yeah, a lot of my insights go there. I I try and be as open as possible. I'm really exploring creativity in my content. So a lot of time and effort goes into what I post. And I really love connecting with people. I think Instagram gets a bad rap in society. And it's such a beautiful way to both express the self and also engage with others. So I agree. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. It's so lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of How Do You Feel? If you are in Toronto and you haven't checked out Home Meditation Studio yet, I highly recommend that you go and check it out. It's a really beautiful space and a nice accessible introduction to meditation. Remember, How Do You Feel releases a new episode every Monday morning. Make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Please rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying what you're hearing. I really do appreciate every single review that you guys write. If you want to catch up with me and my journey, follow me on Instagram at KCMZav. You can also check out the podcast website, howdoyoufeelpodcast.com. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Make sure that you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today. Bye.